Hello. Hello. Welcome to Jenna and Chels. I'm Jenna. And I'm Chels. And today we have a few stories from the No Sleep Reddit for you guys. I have two stories. One is behind you. And the other one is about somebody that was very adventurous and found a Nissan hidden behind the bush. And that has been hunting them since. AKA fuck around and find out. And funny enough, Charles has a similar story about a social worker that had a case, a very interesting case a few years back, and the case has been hunting them ever since. I think for them a little more than the Nissan. So, let's get to it. You have anything else? Different kinds of hunt. I know, right? Giving variety today. I am intrigued by behind you. I want to I wanna hear that. Okay, all right. Well, let's see what's behind you. Make sure you don't look back the whole time. <laughs> oh, oh, I should, yeah, make sure you check now. Yeah, and make sure nothing is there before we get started. Because as soon as I read the first, the first word, it would be behind you. Wow. Okay. So now you're cursing us. Dang it. Okay. I said you. I said you. I didn't say us. I said why you. me? See, this is why you can't have my address. Yeah. Anyways, not like I can't just hack you. Do you do you know that I'm one of the founder of the dark web, right? But it's okay. If you are, then why am I still? I should, I should probably just say all this here on you know on the record. Where are the flight tickets? No, no, it's okay. Just keep going. Incriminate yourself more. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Negative story is a story. Okay, the first story is gonna be behind you. I've only been driving for a year. I've never had to replace a broken part in my car. I've never even had my car break down. I've only ever changed my wiper fluid and filled my car up with gas. I mean, tonight, I was only any other night. I was doing my regular routine of going to the gym, stopping at the gas station to grab a protein shake and heading home to play video games. I take this dark rural road to get home from the gym aside from one intersection with a flashing red light and the odd house the road is bleak and empty i was on my way home listening to music when my car died it was instant everything went dark i was confused i thought that my engine could at least start to sputter before my car died i ended up calling my brother and let him know that i needed a jump and he said that he'd be there in 10 minutes. So I decided out of fear of animals that I would lock myself in the car and distract myself on my phone until my brother arrived. I looked around in the darkness surrounding me. It was creepy. It was like I was in a tub of black paint, not a speck of light in sight. Not long after I started to watch a video on my phone, I heard a light tapping sound coming from the roof. Tap, tap, tap. Now, I thought it could be some sort of tree branch tapping my car as I was right beside the entrance of the forest with overhanging trees, but that is when I realized the tapping was more methodical. Tap, tap, tap. Pause. Tap, tap, tap. Pause. I wondered if maybe an animal had gotten onto the roof. I decided to turn my phone flashlight and open my door and check on my roof. And sure enough, it was empty. What made me feel uneasy though was that none of the trees near my car could reach the roof of it. I sat back 
onto my car when I decided to call my brother to see where he was. I'm five minutes away, man. Stop calling me. I hung up and opened Instagram and started scrolling. As time went on, I realized I'd, it'd been 30 minutes since I had called him. I decided to call him again and got the same answer. I'm five minutes away, man. Stop calling me. Before I could even ask anything, he hung up. It couldn't be possible. It was 10 minutes from my house to this location, and he'd been driving for nearly 45 minutes. My brother is normally lazy, but he wouldn't lie about having left the house when I'm in a situation like this. That's when I heard it again. This time, it sounded like it was on the window. And so I scanned the windows and saw nothing. That was until I checked the rear view mirror. A dark figure filled the glass. And shining my phone light, my phone flashlight on it revealed its horrible features. Pale skin, milky white eyes devoid of any color, boosting an ear-to-ear -ear smile. I let out a scream, and that's when it disappeared from the back windshield. I called my brother the third time and yelled, Where the fuck are you? I'm five minutes away, man. Stop calling me. And the phone hung up. I realized that this ex this, the expression that was the same each time. I decided to call back again, but this time, look at my phone. And to my surprise, when I clicked call under my brother's contact name, and that's when I realized what my phone said. Call failed. And I heard it. I'm five minutes away, man. Stop calling me. I realized, though, it wasn't coming from my phone. But it was. I was actually hearing it in my ears. I slowly turned around. And that's when I saw it. This, this thing behind me. Staring me in the eyes with a blood-curdling smile. He then repeated in my brother's voice. I'm here. I gripped the door handle and shoved it open, falling onto the road. I was just It was just then when the darkness disappeared and was taken over by light. I looked over towards the light source and saw my brother's car pulling up behind mine. I could hear my heartbeat thumping in my ears as my vision came in and out, a vignette surrounding what I could see. What the fuck are you doing? He said, getting out of his car laughing. What, what? I screamed, looking onto the back seat. It was empty. What's wrong? My brother asked. More serious now. The, there was someone in the in my back seat. I said, panicking. My brother retreated to his car and grabbed his gun from his glove box. I checked my phone, and to my dismay, it was only ten minutes after I called him, and there was only one call in my call history. Just at that time, my brother's car turned off. The darkness coming back. What the fuck? I heard him say. He flashed his phone's flashlight on the back windshield. A smiling face drawn crudely in a thick red substance I could only assume was blood. And small writing underneath reading. Behind you. That's the end of the story. That is actually scary. <laughs> This one is actually scary. <laughs> it was so good. Sounds... I loved it. I loved every bit of the story. Okay, yes, I did. I really like it too. The, so, whenever time was not 
passing the same way inside of the car when he was under that bridge versus mm-hmm. when he stepped out. out of the car yeah yeah and it's kind of it's so creepy that the whole time he thought he was hearing it on the phone because he would put the phone to his ears or whatnot but the voice yeah. was literally right next to him just telling him but because he assumed his brother was picking up the phone and the creepy part yeah. was that it had his brother's like that's what i was going to say it's deceiving him he wanted it to think that his brother was but the, the weird thing is it must have gone through once though because when he called when he ran out of the car his brother was there why was his brother there one of the calls must have gotten through the first call went through when he first called the brother and told him that he was mm-hmm. stuck and he needed a jump and the brother told him, okay, I'm 10 minutes away. That was the only yeah. call that went through. And then after that, when he called, it was the voice telling him, I'm on my way. I'm five minutes away. Stop calling me, man. Yeah. I, so when not, I, only, mm-hmm. not only did he take his brother's voice, he came up with something that would be believable enough for him to keep waiting in the car. Yeah, because he was changing. I, I thought maybe it was something that was just mimicking the voice. Right. I, when I was reading it, I thought maybe he reached the brother the first time and the brother, I mean, the second time that would be. And the brother told him, I'm five minutes away, man. Stop calling me. And then the voice kept repeating that. But that's not what it was because then the voice changed it. When he turned around, the voice said, I'm here. Right. So whatever it is, is intelligent enough uh-huh. to not only mimic the voice but he can even mimic different reactions that you expect from the person and he can also draw just to get... in blood <laughs> in white he can spell okay? that's a rare commodity nowadays <laughs> i mean you gotta improve your game if you have to stay in this creepy land you know uh, i you can't just be scary for free you have to work for it I I definitely like this one though. That was a good story. Yeah, I liked it too. It was it was very short, but they were able to build in the suspense and all that. Yeah, I have. So you guys should definitely go and read it. It was a really good read. The links will be in the show notes as usual. You know what to do. Um, all right. And Chelsea, take away with your story. You ready? I am ready. Okay. So it goes, I am a social worker for the homeless and one case will haunt me for the rest of my life. Long title, but here we go. I know what this is about, the man across my desk sneered. You're trying to find out why I'm a psycho or a junkie or a career criminal. You're trying to find out why I can't just live in a little plaster box and pay my taxes like everybody else. I'm trying to find out who you are are marcus aside and i will never call anyone any of those things a person is more than just the problems they face problems you don't know shit about problems i may not be like those sad fuckers out there he gestured to the other homeless waiting in the hallway of the center but i've got a big fucking problem that's why i'm here marcus why don't you talk to me what's troubling you because I want to sleep under the stars tonight and not get dragged off to some padded cell in the straitjacket. That's why. I leaned forward and pushed up my glasses, stroking my shin like I just couldn't find the right thing to say. 
uh, it was a disarming gesture that I found helped people to open up to me. As a social worker specializing in homelessness, I needed every helpful strategy that I could get. Most of the people I worked with viewed me at best as a waste of time and at worst as a threat. The more I understand, the more I'll be able to help. That's all I want, Marcus, to help you. Will you let me do that? The 20-something blonde across the desk from me rolled his eyes, rubbed red and dark-pitted from lack of sleep. Apart from that, however, Marcus wasn't a typical case. He was well-dressed and clean-shaven, even if his suit had seen better days and his eyes bore the red, dark-pitted signs of insomnia. Look, if I talk about this, there might be consequences. Horrible consequences. It might even bring her into your life. And I don't want to be responsible for that. I've got enough shit to deal with already. Marcus grabbed the arms of his chairs and pushed himself to his feet. If he walked out that door, I was sure I'd never get another chance to get him the help he needed. Marcus, it says in your file that you never sleep in the same place twice. Why is that? Marcus paused, his worn-out pack halfway up his back. Through its bulging seams, I could see his tent, sleeping bag and clothing all packed neatly away inside. It's because of her, isn't it? Marcus sat back down. You have to promise me that I won't get locked up anywhere, the young man muttered gruffly, and that if I ever get picked up by the cops or whatever, you'll do your best to spring me out the very next night. I need you to promise me all that and mean it. Look, I know it's a tall order and it's okay to say no. I'll just walk out that door and you'll follow, fill your little form and we can both pretend that this conversation never happened. As he looked across the desk at me with those awful sleepless blue eyes, I had the strangest feeling that he was the one taking pity on me. Marcus, I grabbed the young man's hand solemnly. I promise that I'll do everything in my power to meet your conditions, should they ever arise. Marcus looked around, as though to reassure himself that no one else was listening. The troubled expression on his face was one I recognized. He was struggling to convince himself to open his inner world to a stranger. I let him sit in silence for a while, knowing full well that at this point, what happened next was up to Marcus. Sometimes it's so right it feels wrong, he said suddenly. You ever been in a situation like that? You find the perfect job or the perfect girlfriend or the perfect opportunity, but there's something off about it. Do you know what I mean? I nodded. It was like that with the apartment, Marcus went on. My list was running out and I couldn't find anywhere that wasn't an hour away from work or a total scam. Then I found it. Two bedrooms, one and a half bath, newly renovated, but in a handsome old building. It was so close to my work, I could walk, walk there. And the price, it was less than half of what I was used to seeing. I flipped to the contract looking for a catch, but there wasn't one. The place was rented by a small property management group that only owned a few buildings. I seemed like a reliable renter, they said, and I guess they liked that. Marcus laughed bitterly. I still remember how it felt, looking around at those bare wooden floors and perfectly white empty rooms. I still hear my gut instincts whispering to me, something is wrong here, get out now. But what can I say? For 800 a month in the heart of downtown, I signed right away. I moved in a few days later after work. 
It was late and I was too tired to mess with unpacking all those cardboard boxes. I fell asleep on the bare mattress without even bothering to take off my suit. Marcus rubbed his sleeve thoughtfully and I realized he was referring to the same suit he was wearing now. I had horrible dreams that night, but try as I might, I couldn't remember any of them the following morning. Then I noticed the footprints. It looked like some barefoot person had crossed the dusty floor and stood just inches away from where I had been sleeping. Funny thing was, those bare footprints started from the wall and didn't turn back. Like whoever it was had walked out of solid brick, hovered over me all night and then disappeared. Was I creeped out? Sure, a little bit. but. I also had to be at work in an hour and I had no idea in which one of those damn boxes my coffee pot was hiding. The next night, a door slammed in the hallway and Marcus jumped. Look, do you mind if we walk and talk for this next part? I need a cigarette and I really don't want to tell this part of the story indoors, just in case. It was my policy never to meet outside of the office. I'd heard horror stories of caseworkers who were robbed at gunpoint, stabbed with dirty needles, or simply got too attached or crossed the boundaries of professionalism in ways that ruined their career. I don't know why though, I made an exception for Marcus. Perhaps I too needed some fresh air. There was something claustrophobic about this story, the way his eyes kept darting around the room. After work on the second day, he kept going. I was beat. A picky client with a complicated problem had trapped me on the phone all day and the stress burned the image of those creepy footprints right out of my mind. When I walked in the door, I kicked off my shoes, chugged a glass of water and fell onto the mattress face first. I only meant to take a little nap then keep unpacking. But when I woke up, it was already dark and, and someone was chewing on my toes. I stopped walking. I know what you're thinking, Marcus sneered. It does sound crazy. My brain didn't want to accept it either. I didn't want to believe that a naked old woman with white hair hanging down past her waist was gnawing on my foot with a mouthful of twisted teeth. I yelled loud enough to wake up half the city block and kicked her in the face, or at least I tried to. My heel went through her like she wasn't even there. No matter how I kicked and squirmed and fought, it didn't matter. She just kept biting. When I ran away, she slithered after me on the floor like a boneless goddamn snake, always nibbing, leaking blood out of every bite mark on my legs. I threw pots and knives at the Lord's player, even swatted at her with a broom. Nothing worked. In the, in the end, I ran out of the apartment barefoot and bleeding, with two of my toes missing. Of course, my neighbors had called the cops, but when they went back inside with me, it was like she was never there. I was a mess, Marcus went on, and I think I actually cried on the cop's shoulder. The hospital wanted to keep me for observation for a few days, and I said yes to everything. I mean, sure. I mean, I sure as hell didn't want to go back to my place, and I was in no conditions to work. Every time I looked at my feet, the reality of it hit me like a punch in the chest. A ghostly old woman really had walked out of the wall of my apartment, and she really had chewed off my two right toes. The cuts were as neat as though I had been born with them, and there wasn't any blood in the apartment either. It was like she'd lapped it all up. So no one else could see the old woman who attacked you, I summarized. 
it's not like I don't have proof. I can show you the missing toes if you want. Marcus knelt to take off his shoe. Hey, there's no need for, for that. I moved to stop him, and as I did, I felt a ragged gap in the flesh of the arm beneath his suit. During the few seconds that my fingers brushed against it, I couldn't help but notice that the gap was the same size and shape as a human mouth. Marcus stood up, looking at the sinking sun with a sigh. I thought I'd be safe in the hospital. Who wouldn't? There are armed guards and nurses everywhere and emergency call buttons. But even with all that, I still expected to see her come crawling around the corner, a hungry smile on her rotten face. I hardly slept at all that first night. Maybe that's why I dozed off so quickly on the second. Marcus took a deep, shuddering breath. All I remember is the pain. The pain and her face. I'd felt my arm hanging over the railing of the bed that second night, and she just jumped down on it. Her tongue jabbed at my vein, thirsty for more blood. Her eyes rolled back in her head. Her tangled hair and decrepit, and decrepit shook from the joy of it. And then she, the nurses came running in as she was gone. The chunk missing from my arm was the only proof that she was ever there. The doctors couldn't explain it. But after hearing my crazy story, they didn't want to just let me go either. In the end, I had to break out of that place. I made a mental note to check the hospital database for any record of Marcus' story. You wanted to know why I live on the streets, right? Marcus sh Marcus's shot brought me back to reality. That's why. Because every time I stay any place for longer than the night, she shows up again. I don't know who she is or why she chose me to torture. All I know is, if I ever spend two nights someplace, I'm done for. That's why I need you to help me. Make sure that no matter what, I never sleep in the same bed twice. Otherwise, she... Marcus sniffled. I was surprised to see tears pouring down his face. She won't even leave the bones, man. She'll drain me till there's nothing left. I can't remember what I said to that or how I concluded my interview with Marcus. I just gave him my card and wished him the best while I tried to pretend my mind wasn't buzzing with the unsettling image of this bizarre story. When I finally calmed down, I realized I hadn't scheduled a second appointment with Marcus or even established a way to contact him again. I'd have to rely on him to get in touch with me, which, considering his homelessness, wasn't likely. The guilt ate at me while I typed up a conversation and archived the file. Marcus never came back to the center after our talk, and I knew better than to go looking for him. I'm ashamed to admit that after a few years, I completely forgot about him, until I got the phone call. It wasn't the herald young man in a business suit who'd reached out to me, however. It was a police officer from a few states away. He was getting in touch with me, he said, because of something sort of strange that had happened in the county jail. Marcus Reginald Brown, Brownwell, male Caucasian, 31-year-old, had been detained a few days earlier for vagrancy. Since then, he'd been no end of trouble, screaming about needing to change cells. When Marcus didn't get his way, he got violent. The warden had him transferred to solitary confinement for three days. The officer who'd called couldn't say exactly what happened to Marcus during that time. 
the damn camera is all one dead for some reason he could however tell me and what was left of marcus afterwards was an empty jumpsuit and a sickening greasy stain on the floor it's the strangest damn thing i could hear the officer scratching his head on the other end of the line we figure he's escaped somehow and since he kept calling you over and over and asking for you and saying you're getting out of here no matter what well we figure you might know something doctor and the sneer in his voice told me all i needed to know about his view of my profession but i hardly noticed my thoughts were fixed on the last word he said calling me over and over, asking for me, saying I'd get him out no matter what. Of course, Marcus had my old number. When I switched jobs to work for an NGO, I'd updated my contact information with all the contacts that I could find, but I hadn't been able to find Marcus. And if I was being honest with myself, I knew the real reason why. I had been too disturbed by Marcus's story to do my job properly. I didn't take down his information when I should have, and as a result, well, I had the first dream last night. The sheer horror of it and the fact that I couldn't remember any part of it afterward made me think of Marcus. Then beside my bed, I saw the footprints. I had been remodeling the kitchen, and with all the powdered plaster everywhere, it was easy to see that whoever had been standing beside my bed all night had walked out of the kitchen wall. A packed rucksack is leaning against my desk. I hope I've got everything I need. I've learned a lot about life on the street over the past four years, but some things always surprise you. And that is the end of the story. Wait, 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 wait. So the old lady moved on to the social worker? Mm-hmm. So it's not location-based? That's what it seems like. So basically, it's like a disease or a virus. Once you contacted it, it follows you everywhere. That's what it sounds like. Yo, that is traumatizing. Yeah. Because at first, I thought when he moved out of the place and he was at the hospital, it would be fine. And then she found him at the hospital and bit his arm off, took a whole chunk out of it. And then... After that, that's why he kept like moving. Mm-hmm. And I feel so bad for the social worker because he literally promised the guy I would help that you. he was ever arrested. He would come and help him and get him out. And then exactly, she literally just ate him like in a two days. She ate the whole man in one night. She ate him in one night because he was so he was arrested. He was put in confinement for three days and he said that she comes on the second night so if he had gotten hurt or like the first couple of times when he was in his apartment and the hospital the like his screams alerted people and they came so even though he was in confinement he he if he had screamed and they because they do the rounds every night they would have noticed that hey there's something going on but she must have come on the third night and just ate him in one go because he wasn't able to escape anywhere he was just in the confinement he didn't have any he was tied up because they put you in that suit that ties your arms to your body so no in in confinement they just lock you in the room 
you just can't get out but they don't they don't bind you oh you know what i was thinking they don't bind you it's just it's just a very little lit like you know not well lit room you just stay in the room and you're locked in there but it's just you don't they don't put you into the white yeah the know, straight like jacket the, the straight jacket yeah mm-hmm. for some reason i was picturing that well but there was nowhere for him to yeah. go because the first day he ran out of the apartment the first time i guess mm-hmm. and then at the hospital the nurses came mm-hmm. and then but in the confinement room but like nobody else was confined that heard him scream this is traumatizing yeah. and then now the social worker so basically it's either you've been at the place when it happened or somebody tells you about it and because you know about it mm-hmm. well let me put some powder on the floor <laughs> yeah are you sure you want to be aware of the ghost around you are you certain i want to be aware before i lose my fucking toes yes i do <laughs> thank you very much oh yeah i'll be switching it up i that was very unsettling for sure because i'm we do have i don't know uh i think you remember it but i when i was a kid they used to tell me that if i didn't clip my toenails or kept my feet too rough like didn't wash them well enough and the dry skin piled up then little mice will come and nibble on my feet at night for us it was your hands oh, really? like if you didn't pop up you know yeah be like wash your hands before you go to bed if you don't wash your hands well then the little mouse will come and eat your nails because it will smell like food oh no yo these people are traumatizing like why would you want to traumatize somebody like that so you should have seen me in scrubbing that's why i'm like monk now I'm like you... scrubbing them hands true i'm sure that came in handy during covid time i mean they didn't even have to tell me most of the times like if i'm at home my hands my hands are ashy so i have like a bottle of lotion in the living room i have one in the room because i'm always washing my hands anyways so and for the second story that i have for you guys it said i found an abandoned an abandoned nation in alaska bush what happened afterwards haunts me to this day back in my 20s i was what you call an adventure girl about 10 years ago give or take Something happened that changed that. I moved to the city, got a boring job and a boring apartment, and became decidedly adverse to the outdoors. I haven't really told anyone about this all that time. Save my now wife because, well, for one, they would think I'm crazy. And for two, I don't want to think about it. I'm finally putting it here because you all deserve to hear it. After all, you probably saved my life. At the time, I had just graduated college and moved to Texas, from Texas to Alaska. Out of the desire for, you guessed it, adventure, I had a job doing stuff like I like. It paid well and gave me enough vacation days to get out and do something really adventurous every once in a while. One thing I had on my bucket list since moving north was driving to Dalton Highway. For the unfamiliar, that's a generously highway that goes from Fairbanks to Prattho Bay on the Arctic Ocean. It's a 500 mile, 11 hour drive in the summer. Thanks to work realities, I wasn't able to get out there until early autumn. By early autumn, the snow had started, but the plows were still able to keep the highway pretty clear. And I was driving a 95 Toyota Land Cruiser, kitted out for expeditions. I fucking love that thing. Beside that, I was an adventure girl. I was prepared, 
I had camping gear, emergency gear, a satellite phone, plenty of food and water, enough jerry cans for the trip there and back, and Sam Colt's greatest invention of in the center of console. Just in case. For the unfamiliar, that's a 1911. I fucking love that gun. I was planning to make the trip in two days, sleeping in the back of the Land Cruiser halfway. I had enough blankets to keep me warm and I had a nice comfy space um, space back there that I could fit in. I'd have to drive slower because of the snow. I wanted to enjoy the scenery and the sun was setting pretty early by that time of the year. I had a good start that day and was driving. the driving was fine. By the time shit went down, it had been dark for about an hour and I was getting into the foothill of the Brooks Range. That's good scenery and also terrain I didn't want to be going through in the dark. So I was just about ready to pull over for the night when I saw caution flashers up ahead. For the unfamiliar, a hard rule for any Alaskan is that you always, always pull over when you see someone in distress on the side of a remote road like this especially after the snow starts. If they aren't prepared for emergency, there is a good chance that you could save their lives. So that's exactly what I did. I pulled over next to the Nissan SUV. Not as nicely knitted out as mine, but not bad either. I figured they were doing the same thing I was, small word. But the jack entered the axle and the wheel sitting next to the car, they had blown a tire. What I didn't see though, was where the people. So I got up on my Land Cruiser, crunching down into the snow and looked around. There aren't a ton of trees that far north, but there are quite a few patches of evergreens that, while not quite forest, can be pretty dark and thick on a snowy night. Hey, I called out, my voice going dead a few yards away, as sound does in snowing woods. Y'all need help? No answer. Dead silent save the fan clicking over the flasher from inside the Nissan. I shouted again, anybody there? I've got tools. No answer, dead silence. I considered myself a pretty brave bitch back then, but I admit that I was creeped out at this point. This vehicle definitely hadn't been there for that long, but there were no one to be seen. Beside that, the dead quiet and the darkness of the night were unnerving. It wasn't that weird for it to be standing on a snowing night like this. That far north, but still creepy. Creepy enough that I hopped back in the car and grabbed my 45, storing it in one of the big pockets in front of my jacket, just in case there were bears up there. I approached the Nissan and saw footprints in the snow. Okay, not a ghost car. One pair had been crouched down at the removed tire and the other had been standing a couple feet away by the rear of the SUV. The latter pair had then, at some point, headed off towards the tree line. It stopped a few yards down, paced around a bit, then continued into the woods. The pair near the tire then had then, presumably later, gotten up and ran after the first. I was no tracker, but it's not hard to tell when someone is running in the snow. Now I was really creeped out. I was tempted to hop back in the car and keep driving for a good long while, but like I said, this could easily have been life or death up there. Besides, I had my 45. I could handle a grizzly, probably, but 
that was the worst I'd find up here. Probably. So off I went, following those two steps, those two sets of footprint into the woods. It was fucking dark, but don't worry y'all, I had a really nice flashlight. Surefire baby, adventure girl, remember? The dead quiet seemed to get even deader and quieter as soon as I passed the tree line. As sound as in snow woods, probably the only thing comforting me that I hadn't gone deaf was the sound of my my breath and my boots crunching in the snow. Hey, I called again, maybe 20 yards into the woods. Is everyone okay? This time I got a response. It was a woman's voice and it sounded afraid. Over here, I called, help. I got a sprint in my step at that, jogging towards the sound of voice, jogging towards the sound of the voice, shining my light through the trees to try to catch a glimpse. Over here, it's called again, much closer, help. Remember when I said, you'll probably save my life? This is when that happened. I stopped. The hair on the back of my neck had stood on the end and a chill ran down my spine. Something was off about that voice. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it was just slightly wrong. I pointed my light towards where I had heard it. Are you hurt? I said, voice raised, but not quite shouting anymore. Help! The voice called out again. Only it was even closer this time. I hadn't heard the crunch of any footsteps. Over here, my grip on the flashlight tightened and my heart started to hammer in my chest. This was not right. I'd read a lot of no sleep back then and had watched and listened to my fair share of spooky stories at the time. I didn't think any of this stuff was real, but what was happening to me felt way too familiar. And it was setting off alarm bells. Something about this exact situation was tugging at the back of my mind as something I should be terrified of. I tried one more time. What's your name? I asked cautiously. Help! The voice called. And it couldn't have been more than a few yards off. That was enough for me to swap my light to the left hand and bring out the colt with my right. I pointed both in the direction of that voice and finally caught a glimpse of something beside trees. Off the distance, barely visible, I could see a bundle of something laying in the snow. It was human size. Size. It was human sized and the snow all around it was stained dark. My head was in the middle of processing what it was seeing when I saw movement between me and the body. Oh shit, that was a body. I pointed my flashlight and gun at the source of the movement. It was humanoid, with two arms and two legs. It was all wrong, the limbs were too long and it was too tall. Its hair was thin and wiry. It had antlers, fucking antlers. And its face, which was also, I assure you, really fucking wrong, was staying dark with what I can only presume, assume was blood. I fired two shots and hauled my ass. I don't know if the bullet slowed it down. I don't even know if it hit it. I ran faster than I've ever ran before. And by the cracking branches and crunching snow behind me, it was giving chase. My heart felt like it was going to explode out of my chest and my lungs burned from sucking in the frosting air. From sucking in the frosting air. 
Once or twice I saw death flash before me as I nearly lost my footing in the snow, but I managed to stay upright. As I ran, I heard more snapping, more crunching, not just behind me now, but all around. There were more. I got really fucking lucky that night. I was lucky to have spotted the body, lucky to have run just fast enough and not fallen on my face. Lucky none of the whatever they wear. I have a guess, but I'd rather not hazard. We're just a bit closer or faster. I was lucky that I dabbled in enough spooky stories that my alarm bells had gone off. And I was lucky that the poor couple, maybe in that nascent, had gotten stranded there and suffered the grisly fate they suffered. After all, I was planning to stop just as I saw those caution light flashers, just as I saw the caution flashers. I would have been there in those same woods asleep. I don't want to think about what would have happened to me if it had been the case. I made it to the car, which I was again lucky I had left running, thinking I wouldn't go far. I leapt in, slammed and locked the door. I threw it in reverse as I saw dark, lanky shapes coming out of the trees. As I got moving, the headlights revealed what had been chasing me. I can't say exactly how many it was, at least half a dozen. All of them were similarly stretched, pale to the point of being almost white, with various forms of antlers and primitive looking clothing. I reversed down the roads as fast as I dared without risking going off and dooming myself to a certain death for a good half mile before I finally got the nerve to turn around. And then I flew down the highway all the way back to Fairbanks, only stopping once I found a nice, well-lit hotel in the middle of the city. The next day, I was back in Anchorage. I thought about calling the state troopers. Someone was going to find the Nissan, probably find the bodies. They'd find my casing, my tire tracks. I could end up a murder suspect. I decided against it though. After, I guess I decided against this though. If I ratted myself out, I would be a murder suspect anyway. And then they would know it was me. Better to bet that no one could tie me to the scene especially being as far from local as it was. Over the next week, I packed my shit, bailed on my job and my lease, and moved back to Texas. I never ended up, I never ended up with the police banging on my door, so I guess I made the right choice. I still have nightmares about those wrong, elongated things chasing me. I probably have PTSD, but it's not like I can talk to the therapist about it without ending up in the loony bins. I'm not an adventure girl anymore. I never go out, I never go anywhere at night, and I stay in the city as much as possible. I didn't get out of there, Anne's case, but I got out of there alive. Which is better than can be said for those folks in the Nissan. I was lucky. And that's the end of the story. I think there's something very scary about creatures that look human enough but are not quite human are complete yeah. yeah and the thing is like they're wearing primitive clothing so whatever they wear they're definitely going through some sort of evolution you know because they're wearing yeah, and clothes. they have antlers and they have antlers like how 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 like she said fucking antlers like what right that sounds scary it just looks 
very scary and just the when way the scene was it. set like in the snow the dark trees like i could picture the whole thing as i was reading it it was really scary you mm-hmm. know but Me it was too. and then really when she said there were more there were can you imagine and the voices started coming all over from all around as she was running so they were probably like chasing her like going around in the trees and trying to like kind of like trap her like surround her mm-hmm. basically yeah but yo that must be what they did to that couple yeah you know what i'm thinking i think the way she described it the whatever i don't know if because it was a woman's voice so i'm assuming it was probably maybe a couple so one of the men was maybe mm-hmm. changing the tire and the woman was standing behind then she started like walking around and she went into the trees looking for something and he probably heard her screaming mm-hmm. then he took off running into the woods to try to woods. see what's going on and, and save her and obviously none of yeah. them came out of their life Mm-hmm. This is creepy. I hate to say it, but I'm, I am a coward. I if I see a car in the middle of a deserted road, I mean not deserted, but in the middle of nowhere like this with their hazard lights on, I'm not trying to find out. I'll rather call I'm, the police. I'm not, you know, since it yeah, could be life exactly. or death. I'm sorry. I I am not your best option. You know, to save I you. So let me call I'll be the useless. police. But when I'm standing, I would definitely call out and see if I can hear anything. You know, because me going I into not... the woods and getting killed by antler-looking people, nobody's being saved. Mm-hmm. We're all dying. We're both just, we, we're all in the same trouble. So might as well, I stay in the car and I call people and I make sure I'm looking out for the car just in case you come back out. But I still call out for you. Okay, but you'll stay, you'll call out from your from car. From my car and I'll stay there. Okay, for the yep. police to come. Yeah, and I'll make sure the car is still That's running, fair. just in case I need to floor it, like she did it. She was very smart. She did that she too. Was, yo, she was smart. Like she, she was smart. If not, she would not have made it out of it. You know. That's why. Nope. You should very brave more no too. Stories, you know. That's why you should go back and <laughs> so listen to all of the other episodes. You don't know what you you could encounter. So we are <laughs> technically preparing you for life for saving your life in the future seriously I mean, yeah can it be more mm-hmm. noble than this <laughs> exactly and we love to say i would have done this i would have done that so you know the, yeah yeah and we give the you more scenarios. you know <laughs> exactly what would you do what would you what do would in you that situation mm-hmm. actually i want to know what would you have done in this situation you know would you have went in to help them and also she was more confident because she had that 45 of her exactly she was adventure girl you know what i mean (laughs) Uh uh-huh i don't have any of that and i've listened to way too much true crime Mm. to even stop um and try to figure it out like i would do what you said i would not get out of the car and i would try to call 911 and tell them the location and say there are people Mm -hmm. who look in distress and i'm terrified to go out because i don't think they can force you and if you call they'll probably tell you to stay in the car too and not go there exactly so you don't put yourself so, in danger you know because you but, never know what it is but Ted at Bundy the same time to too you say that way. not knowing because in her situ- situation she didn't think she was gonna find those things there she just figured maybe the people need help you know maybe they started walking in that direction you know but if it's oh, dark no and it's the woods and you put them in the same sentence and there's even snow, in i am out of daylight 
even first of all this can never be me okay this can never be me because you would never find me camping nowhere at night by myself <laughs> in the middle of the woods because this girl here and no adventure girl okay i am couch See? girl couch she girl got turned into a city girl all the way <laughs> <laughs> not even city girl couch girl city girl city girl really yeah, definitely <laughs> no yeah. but no i'm do, couch girl yeah. You, I, um, I, I don't know if you remember, but Ted Bundy used to lure his victims in that way, and, and he would do it in broad daylight. He would pretend to have issues with his car or mm -hmm. um, needing help to lift something into his trunk. So in this case, it could be a tire, and then as soon as they will be in a vulnerable position, like either bend down, so whack them on the head. Yep. And there you go. And you'd be in the middle of nowhere. Like people wouldn't know which, unless you're, you have a GPS tracker that's sharing your location with someone. How do they know? In the middle of nowhere. It's, see? Couch, couch girl. girl is right. Couch girl. Yep. All the way. That's the solution, people. And when you're couch girl too, don't open the door for strangers. Eh? Okay. In case there's a snowstorm, don't harbor strangers. Okay. Tell them, mm. for me, I'll just tell them, you know, the police station is just right next door. I'm pretty sure they'll take you in. <laughs> they probably have a warm tail. That's true. Uh, you will That's okay. true. No, no, don't play like that. That's a me. life hack. You life don't have hack, a place you know? to spend the, the storm. Let me call just... the police for you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh... thank you for listening for the stories. I hope it was as entertaining to you as it was for us to read and tell it to each other yeah. and eventually to you yes and we will catch you on our next episode bye Doodoo. Doodoo.